as we've been dealing with 2 Corinthians, we've sort of been hovering around what, what is the main topic of chapters 8 and 9. Several weeks ago, we talked about the fact that God is a gracious God and everything we have is a result of grace. And we looked at how the word grace is used in chapters 8 and 9 and it's the predominant word that appears in those two chapters. A couple of weeks ago, we looked at the idea of completing the tasks that God has given to us and that sense of diligence and commitment that God calls forth in his servants. Last week, we talked about the idea of generosity. Another key word in this passage is the fact that we as believers are to be generous in all areas of our lives. But even though we didn't get to it, now we have to talk about it. And here's the topic. Giving. <gasps> I'm afraid that when we hear that topic, we usually respond something like this. If you're not familiar with that scene, it's from The Blob. And that's Phoenixville in the I think it's Colonial Theater. And it's on my bucket list to go there when they do the reenactment every year. And they have the people in the theater come running out and do the screaming and the yelling. I'm afraid that that's usually the way we respond to when we hear a message about giving. We, we usually think, oh, no, and we want to escape and get out. And, you know, here it comes. We have to give money to the church. Or we have to give money to, to Samaritan's Purse. Or we got to give money to missionaries. Or, and, and that tends to be our attitude. But what is so interesting is how different the biblical writers viewed, were, uh, viewed giving. They had a very different attitude. We talked about the Macedonians and how they begged to be a part of what Paul was doing. They begged and Paul didn't even tell them about the offering because he saw them as being so poor and in such a difficult time that he didn't think it would be right to ask them and yet they begged and I think instead of the Phoenixville response our response ought to be something like this That's from the Oprah show when she gave away something. <laughs> now somewhere in between those two extremes is to be found the believer's attitude about giving of our time, our talents, and yes, our money back to God. For God's attitude is that we ought to be joyous about it. We ought to be celebratory about it. We ought to have an attitude that says, wow, I get to do this. God allows me to do this. I often think about when our children were small and how 
at Christmas time, gift giving was a unique event. For I'd open up my wallet, give them the money, they'd go out, buy the gift, come back, and my response was, yay! For the magnet that goes on the refrigerator that holds the post-it notes and the, you know, but yet I rejoiced. And so did they. They rejoiced at my happiness. They rejoiced at being a part of this big Christmas scene and knowing that on, on that Christmas morning as we take turns going through the gifts and, and we get to that point where we open the one that they had given. There, there's such a joy to that. That ought to be our response. You see, when you begin to look at biblical giving, this is what we come to understand. Giving is our joyous response to our generous Father. As my children become older, in response to the love and the relationship that that we have, they, they find a way to, to give it sort of different ways. And not only that, but I as a father begin to rejoice as I see my son and my daughter giving to their own children. And it's a joyous thing. It's a, it's a time of celebration. When we we pass the offering plate on Sunday morning, there's a sense in which at least inside we ought to be going, yes. But the fact is that's not our attitudes. Our attitudes often are ones of obligation, that it's obligatory, that it's a burden, that it's unfair of the church. I think the problem is that we don't understand how God sees this opportunity. As we think through biblical giving, one of the things that we need to understand is that joyful giving is not about the amount. It's not about how much I'm giving. It's not about whether I give off of my gross or off of my net. It's not whether I give before taxes or after taxes. It's not about all those issues. Sure, we have to think through those, and we'll talk about those in a little bit, but but that's not what it's about. Biblical giving, gracious, joyous, proportional, generous giving is an issue of the heart. It's about a response. One of the ways that the scripture presents giving is as an act of worship. As a way for us to proclaim the greatness of our God, to proclaim the faithfulness of our God, to proclaim the trustfulness of our God. And as Robin said this morning, as he introduced that last song, the goodness of our God. If God is good, if God is generous, if God is wondrous, if God is faithful, then as we've seen in 2 Corinthians in response to a generous God who says, I will pour out more so that you can be even more generous. 
There is a joyous response to that. And like all acts of worship, and the elders are going to be in the process of sort of looking and studying at worship, and I've been reading some books on worship, and one of the things they all say and across the board is that you don't worship well unless you see God first. All worship begins with a glimpse of who God is, a glimpse of the wonder of our God. And as we see who he is and we see what he's done and we see how he's responded and we see the greatness and generosity and goodness and kindness and mercy and all that God is, there is something inside of us as believers, it's called the Holy Spirit, that longs to respond. Do something. You see, one of the reasons why we have that Phoenixville view of giving is we don't know God well. And the more we see God, the more we understand God, the more we comprehend God, the the more we want to be a part of it, the more our hearts want to respond to give. The more we know of his generosity, the more we want to be generous. The more we know of his grace, the more we want to be part of the grace. The term that Paul uses for the collection, the offering that he was taking for the Jerusalem church. And as we begin to think that through, one of the things we understand is this, that joyous givers understand that everything belongs to God and is from God. God is the owner. God's like the parent who gives you the money, who drives you to the store, who walks you through the aisle to help you buy the gift for him. God gives it all. And as we were looking last week and as we were reading through that 2 Corinthians passage and In 2 Corinthians, in chapter 9 and verse 8, where where Paul says, And God is able to make all grace abound to you, so so that in all things and at all times, having all you need, you can be involved in all good works. Beloved, everything we have belongs and is from God. The clothes you wear, The car you drive, the house you live in, the money you make. Yes, you are involved in the effort and God says, be faithful in your careers and in your jobs. But it is God that blesses. It is God that provides it. It is all his. I remember a friend of mine who's just bought a brand new car and the car was hit. Like two weeks afterwards. And his response was so interesting. The response was, okay, God, it's your car. If that's what you want to happen, okay. Ultimately, it's his. 
And that's the proclamation of Scripture, not just here in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, but you see it in other passages. 1 Chronicles 29 and verse 11, is, as they're talking about the temple and the greatness of what God is doing, he said, the, the writer says, Yours, O God, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the majesty and the splendor. Do you see how all of who God is is the foundation of what's taking place? And then he goes on to say, For everything in heaven and earth. I think that pretty much covers it, don't you? Is there anything outside of that? Everything is God's. You are God's. Your time belongs to God. Your children belong to God. Your spouse belongs to God. All that you have, all that is ours, belongs to God, and God has given it to us to be his stewards. Psalm 24, 1 says this, The earth is the Lord and everything in it. The world and all who live in it. Why? Because he's the creator. For he founded it upon the seas and established it upon the waters. Thinking back to Genesis chapter 1, And beginning in verse 2. That needs to be the foundation of our thinking. You cannot give. You cannot worship. You cannot be biblically generous. You cannot be biblically gracious. Unless we begin with the understanding that all of it belongs to God. All of it is his. Yesterday, I was sitting down doing our bills. I'm trying to get ready before I leave for England for two weeks. And, you know, just sitting down and thinking as I'm going through it literally and after preparing for the sermon, God, this is all yours. I'm using your money. I'm, you know, responding to what is yours and what you have given me. But secondly, joyous givers seek to express attitude towards God for his gracious provisions. And yes, we can think in terms of materialistic universe and the greatness of God's provision in terms of, you know, the house that I live in and, you know, the health that I have or the, the children that, are, that God has given to me or the, I can think in terms of that, but Ultimately, what Paul says is the generosity of God is ultimately seen in Christ because everything is in Christ. Everything we have, all of the spiritual blessings that are ours because the Son was willing to die in our place so that God could be gracious over all but also gracious to me specifically. Why didn't God destroy the earth immediately after Adam and Eve ate of the fruit? Because he knew there was a day coming when there was one whose heel would be bruised, but who would crush the head of the serpent. All of it flows out of the grace that is available to humanity because of Christ. 
and specifically the eternal blessing that is available to every believer who accepts Christ as their personal Savior. And so as Paul is talking about this massive topic, he reminds us in verse 9 of chapter 8, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. The only time where Paul uses all three terms, Lord Jesus Christ, our Savior. That though he was rich, yet for our sake he became poor. So that through his poverty, we might be rich in all ways. Not wealthy, but abounding in the grace and graciousness of God. We respond to God's grace. Now, the problem is, how do you give to somebody who has everything? You know, there's the old joke about the little boy who was walking to church and he had two quarters, one for ice cream after church and one was for offering. And as he was walking with the quarters in his hands, one dropped out of his hands and rolled down and he said, oh, well, God, if that's how you want to take your money. You see, the the fact is, though, that when God gives us It's not that sort of we can take it and throw it up in the air. Again, you know, the old thing about taking the offering and, and, you know, they're saying, the the one preacher says, well, you know, I give 80% to God and I keep 20%. The other one says, I give 50% to God and I keep 50%. And then the other one says, I throw the plate in the air and whatever stays up is God's and whatever comes down is mine. Okay, there's no, how do you give to God? You know, drop the quarter in the, in the sewage, throw it up. No. The way you give to God is to give to God's children and to give to God's work. But within the spiritual realm, within the Christian realm, churches and ministries and outside. We show our gratitude to God, not by throwing the money in the air and seeing what he keeps. But also when we think about it, joyous givers know that if God is the owner, then that makes me the manager. The steward is the Old Testament term, New Testament term. And the purpose of a manager is to seek to use God's stuff in a way that pleases him. If everything belongs to God, then My game console needs to be used in a way that pleases him. My cable box, my internet that God has graciously allowed me to use needs to be used in a way that honors him. My car and yes, my bank account. All of it is done in a way that demonstrates that I seek to be faithful to God with what he has made me manager of. The first Corinthians chapter four is Paul is talking about this and he's talking about there specifically the ministry of the gospel, but it's, it's a, overall and he says, what is required of a manager of a steward? And the answer is that you be faithful. 
faithful with what God has given to you. And faithfulness simply means using it in a way that pleases him. Now, that doesn't mean I have to give it all away. That doesn't mean I have to take a vow of poverty and say, you know, I will, you know, eat gruel for lunch, supper, and dinner. I will walk everywhere I have in the most least expensive clothing that I find at the thrift shop. No. In fact, in, in Acts chapter 5, with Ananias and Sapphira, when they sinned against God, Peter says to them, you know, when the land was yours, it was yours to use as you thought best. And when you sold it and the money you had, it was yours to use in the way you thought best before God. The problem was that they lied. God says, use it in a way that pleases me. And then finally, joyous givers rejoice that God uses our given to deepen our relationship with him and with others. The primary blessing that comes from giving is not more money. Sometimes God chooses to do that. He'll give you more so you can give more. But the primary blessings as we choose to respond to what God is doing and be a part of what God is doing is the the, the celebration, the the praising, the the honor, the glory, the greater dependence upon God. When when you give in a sacrificial way that sort of strains a little bit, that, that you choose to do without in order to give to God. Paul says to the Macedonians that they were blessed beyond what they could imagine. It deepened their relationship with God, their dependence upon God. It broke their materialism. I do believe the greatest sin of our culture today, when we stand before God, will be our materialism, our consumerism. I really believe that 21st century Christians, American Christians, I'm going to stand before God and God's going to say, was that really the most important thing to do? A bigger this, a more expensive this, more bells and whistles this? Or might have there been some other standards, priorities? Now again, the purpose out here is not guilt. I, I want to be so careful The the purpose is one of encouragement to understand that when we're a part of what God is doing, God uses that to to increase our relationship, our dependence, our, 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 our sense of connection with God and also with one another. And as you read that, you see that as Paul is ending up this whole passage and he comes down to verse 14. I'll begin reading in 13 to set the context. Because of this service, this diakonos, this this choosing to serve others, this choosing to use the resources that God has given us to to accomplish his purposes, by which you have have proved yourself, men will praise God for the obedience that accomplishes your confession of the gospel. By the way, obedience, there's not a good translation. The better is submission to. It's not a sense of obeying. It's a sense of responding to the gospel of Christ. 
and for your generosity in sharing with them and with everyone else and in their prayers for you, their hearts will go out to you. It draws us together. It pulls us together. And the body is united. And believers are united. And together we praise God for what he is doing among his people. When we begin to have that kind of attitude, and we begin to see the opportunity to give, and, you know, yes, we'll talk about giving to Florida, and we'll talk about giving to Houston, and we'll talk about giving to Haiti, and we'll talk about giving to missions, and we'll talk, and the attitude is, it's an opportunity, it's not a requirement, it's not a demand, it's not even an expectation, it's an opportunity, and if I can, If God has blessed me in a way and has provided in a way, I'll be a part. I'll celebrate. I'll rejoice. God calls us to be about joyously giving, celebratorily giving. I'm not sure if that's a word. Now, we've talked about the fact that if it all belongs to God, we're good stewards. And so, therefore, God wants us to use his provisions according to his purposes. And it's not that we need to give it all the way. It's not that I, I need to, to give it all to God. It's not that we need to live in sort of a communal form, you know, and, and we live in a commune and you give all your money to the central, you know, whatever, and they, no, that's not what God teaches at all. In fact, when you look at God's word, there are basically five things that God says our money ought to go towards. And this is from Ron Blue's book, uh, Managing Your, Your Money. God says we use his money to support our lifestyle for ourselves and for our families in a way that honors God. Yes, you use some of the wealth that God has given you to buy a home, to buy a car, to buy a TV, to buy, a, to buy clothes, to buy a motorcycle, to buy those things. But it is to be done in a way that honors God. In this purchase, am I honoring God? In this lifestyle that I live, am I honoring God? That's the question. Does it honor God to buy a motorcycle? Oh, yes. <laughs> you know, I, I, we need to think that through. Does it honor God to, to buy a bigger house? Does it honor God to, to buy, you know, whatever it is. A new game console. Uh, Is this the lifestyle with what God is providing that most honors him? God wants you to do that. In fact, he says in in 1 Corinthians in chapter 6 when he's talking to the wealthy that it's okay to enjoy the wealth that God has given you. But understand that part of that enjoyment is being a part of what God is doing. We use the money God has given us, yes, to pay taxes. You know, the classic Luke 20, pay under Caesar that which is Caesar and under God that which is God. And in some ways saying, pay your tax. It's okay. Now, take every blooming deduction you can possibly take that honors God. (laughs) 
We use it to save and invest for future needs and financial gain. Proverbs 27 doesn't quite strike us that way because it says about, you know, uh, bringing in the hay and planting the seed and watching over your flocks. Well, that's agricultural talk for save and invest wisely. God wants you to do that. Use the stock market. Stay away from bonds right now. Do those kinds of things. And God may choose that to, to bless you more, to be able to be more a part of what he's doing. We used to pay our incurred debt. That's an interesting topic. And if you go back, back in, in 2013, we, we did a series on how does God call us to use money overall, not just giving. And we talked about how debt is one of those things in Scripture where it's, it's warned against. It's not condemned. But one of the things that is clear in Scripture is if you're in debt, pay what you owe. And then finally, we use it to give to others. We use the money that God has provided to us to be a conduit through which he pours it out into the lives of others. Now, the question becomes this. What does that look like? In the topic of giving, what does it look like? And what you read in Scripture, and particularly, uh, not particularly, but specifically in the New Testament, is God is well pleased with those who are, and here's the New Testament concept of giving, generous, proportional givers. Now, there's a word I don't like to use. You're not going to hear me use it. It's the word tithe. And the idea behind tithe, the word tithe, this simply means 10%. A tenth. A tenth of what I, I make, a tenth of what I grow, a tenth of this, a tenth of that. And in the Old Testament, that was the way people gave. They gave a tenth. They gave a tenth of everything. They, they, they grew everything. They made all of it. They gave a tenth. But here's the reality. It wasn't just ten times or ten percent one time. There are actually several tithes that the people of Israel gave throughout the year. The first one is found in Leviticus, and in Leviticus is Paul, I mean, as the writer of Leviticus, Moses is writing in Leviticus 27:30, he introduces the overall tithe, and he said there is a tenth of what you grow, what you earn, what you make, that you give to the Lord. It belongs to the Lord. And if you don't give it to him, you are stealing from him, Malachi. That was the first tithe. And that first tithe was given to support the temple, was to support the, 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 what, what Israel was. So they gave a tenth. And then during the year, they gave a second tenth. And that tenth is found in Deuteronomy chapter 14, verses 22 and following. That tenth 
was used in order to celebrate and to have feasts to God. In other words, they gave it so that they could do the Passover feast and the the Feast of Tabernacle. And and, and in that passage, it says, if you can't travel to Jerusalem to be a part of the celebrations, then take your tithe, sell it, and use it where you are to celebrate God. And then of that second tenth, every third year, they would give that tenth simply to help support the poor. And there's debate whether or not there was two and a third ties, or there was just two ties, but whatever. In the Old Testament, you were required to give 20%. Now, here's the good news. Or here's the more difficult news. All of their offerings, that's the word I like to use for the giving in a church, were over and above that. Now here's where some will respond like those on the Oprah show. The tithe is not mentioned in the New Testament. Yoo-hoo! No. You see, with the new covenant comes a whole new way of giving. It's not an external thing. It's not given in response to what's outside. It's not under obligation, Paul says. It is an act of the heart. And we'll end here this week and Pick it up against next week. But New Testament giving is based on a whole different principle. Generosity and proportionality. Basically, it's this. The more God has blessed you with disposable income, the greater the percentage you ought to be giving. We'll look next week at one of the people who did that in a way that really you look at and say, that's, that's astounding. His name was John Wesley. And he is probably one of the best examples, one of the most extreme examples of generous proportional giving of anyone I've ever read. And we'll look at him next week. As we think about that, this week I I want you just to be thinking in your own mind, God, what's my attitude about giving? Do I see it as an obligation? Do I see it as a demand that's forced upon me? Or God, do I see it as an opportunity to worship you. To be a part of what you're doing. To get to eternity and God said, remember that song that was popular a little bit ago about, you know, you put a dollar in the plate and God used it to, to support a missionary that 
came and told me the gospel, there are going to be ways that God uses what we give back to him that we will not know until eternity. And then we'll celebrate it forever. That's what God is doing when he calls us to giving. Not obligation, not demand, but opportunity to worship God. Father, thank you for the opportunity you give. Father, may we look at our own hearts to see how we choose to be a part of of the giving, that we choose to be a part of, of what you are doing in the world. Father, we want to learn what it means to be generous, proportional, gracious givers. In response to what you have done by the sending of your son, the salvation that is ours because of our relationship with you. Father, we pray if there's someone here this morning that doesn't know what that means, has never trusted your son as their savior, doesn't know what that eternal relationship means or how to have it for certain, that they would speak to somebody here to know how they might know that. Father, thank you that we can know that. And based on that, we can respond and be generous and be gracious to your honor and to your glory and with the knowledge that you even reward our use of your property. Father, encourage us in that. We thank you for the way you will provide for your people and for your ministry. We pray it all in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen.